0: Have you ever heard the phrase, don't make promises that you can't keep? Don't make promises that you can't keep. I wonder, (laughs) I wonder, have we made promises that we have not kept? I would have to say, yeah, we probably have. All of us have at some point at some level. Now I'm not talking about maybe the really big things but maybe small ones that we have committed to that we just haven't followed through but on but on the flip side of that I would also say that we probably have made promises and we've kept them so I don't want to I don't want to be so so naive to think that we only are promise breakers but I believe we're also promise keepers and this idea of a promise is really very very significant and this series out of acts we're talking about the unstoppable nature of the church. And today we're going to talk about the promise, the promise. Now, I take a risk in using the word the because it gives the it gives the impression that this is the most important, the highest of priorities. There's nothing any greater than the promise. And that's not really what I'm implying. What I want to communicate to us is that yes, there are a lot of promises in scripture. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But there is a promise that is given to us in the first chapter of the book of Acts that is so incredibly significant that we have to spend a few moments and discuss it together. But let's talk about the word promise for just a second. It's an interesting word, and in fact, when you begin to look at the promises of Scripture, one individual estimated that there are 30,000 promises in Scripture. Now, that's a bit aggressive, being that there are thirty-one thousand, little over thirty-one thousand verses of scripture in the Bible, now one could say, "Well, every verse has a promise connected to." Uh, okay, I would, I would grant, <laughs> I would grant that because of the one who is communicating that to us. But <clears throat> there was a book written many years ago titled "What the Bible Says About Praise and Promise," and there, there are so that's kind of where this came from. But. Thousands more of those promises are listed in a book by the, by, from a man by the name of Samuel Clark. This is a 200-year-old book titled Precious Bible Promises. Well, he's the one that kind of came up with this idea of the 30,000 promises, and then a man by the name of Harold Lockyer. Now, that, may, that name doesn't mean a lot to us. This is a man who has written a number of books, books like All the Men of the Bible, all the parables of the Bible. And so he also wrote one titled All the Promises of the Bible. And from his discuss- from what he learned in his research and as he walked through the promises of Scripture, he's the one that said, you know, 30,000 is a little bit too many. So he began to whittle it down. And so a little bit later, a man by the name of Everett Storms, Everett Storms, worked very diligently to find out the promises of, of Scripture. Here, now listen to this. This was always took me a little bit by uh, took me a little gasp. I, I kind of gasped when I read it. In his twelfth, in his twenty seventh reading of the Bible, okay, twenty seventh reading of the Bible, he then spent the entire time in that twenty seventh reading just chronicling every promise of Scripture. Now, he realized that as he did that, some of those promises were going to be directed at like national Israel and not to the general population. But here's what he discovered. He discovered that there were 8,810 promises in Scripture directed to us, 77, 700, excuse me, 7,487 of them being promises from God to you and to me. Now think about that, promises, they're all across scripture. Some of you grew up singing this song with me, every promise in the book is mine, every chapter, every verse, every line. Now I grew up singing that song and believing it, and I still believe it, and the idea that the scriptures are filled with promises literally on every page, in every word, I think to a degree is true. But here are those specific promises made to you and to me from God in Scripture. It just simply reinforces 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 56, where this is what we read. Praise be to the Lord. Not one word has failed of all the good promises he has given. The idea is, is that there are promises all through Scripture. And God will make good on all of the promises he has made. In fact, I would say it this way. Scripture is filled with the promises of God and he will keep every promise he has made to you and to me. God is more than a promise maker. He is a promise keeper. And I'm telling you, that is something that we need to get deep into our hearts, into our soul, because not not everybody that we know is a promise keeper. There's a lot of promise makers, but there's not a lot of promise keepers. So today we're going to talk about the promise. So just two verses of Scripture, Acts chapter 1, beginning at verse number 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, this is Jesus, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for your word this morning, and I pray that we would would understand this incredible promise that you have made to us, and also know that you are a promise keeper. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. Five observations this morning from these two verses. The first one is this. The power of God's promises is deepened due to relationship. The power of God's promises is deepened due to relationship. Now, I am really grateful, I'm truly grateful for all of the, of, of the friends I have. I have a lot of buddies all across, all across, literally at this point, all across the world. Some of them are missionaries and in a variety of places, and I am grateful for those friendships. I really am. Uh, I've got golfing buddies, I've got ministry buddies, I've got uh, just buddy buddies, I've got some ministry buddies who are golfing buddies, I've got buddies, and I'm so grateful for my buddies. Okay? just And you know, honestly, you are too. You're grateful for the relationships you have. There's something very special about those relationships. In fact, Marcy and I are going to be traveling here soon, and I'm going to have the op- we're going to have the opportunity to be with some friends that have been friends of ours for, Larry has, friends of ours for almost 40 years. And we don't get to see them very often, and I'm going to have the opportunity to have some time with them. And I'm just excited about the opportunity to renew that relationship, or restore, not restore, but renew that relationship. There's a dynamic that is shared between friends that is special and unique. So here's here's my point. When a person that's a complete stranger, if that person makes a promise to me and they don't keep it, you know, you really don't care. But if there's a really close friend and that close friend makes a promise to you and that close friend follows through on that, man, I'm telling you, it just this great encouragement rises from that. But if they don't keep that promise, By the same token, there's a discouragement connected to that. Now, while this may be a small point in this passage of scripture, there's just this one phrase. Jesus, here's what we see from Luke writing. He says, While he was eating with them. Now, you know, as you have studied, if you've studied any of the story of Jesus from the Gospels, you know that. He loved these guys. He hung out with these guys. They ate together. They walked together. They prayed together. They traveled together. I think they laughed together. I think they wept together. They were friends. And now you see, after Jesus' resurrection and before he ascends, he's sitting down and he's eating with them. They are sharing bread together, and I think they're laughing. I think they're enjoying their company together, and they're talking about things that are significant, Verse 4, he's sharing a meal with his disciples. Now listen to this. Two things to reflect upon. Number one, first, you spend time with people you love. That's something really important. And don't, don't miss this. You, spent, you and I spend time with people we love. And it is so important to keep those relationships that are, that are important to you sustained, built, developed, You you nurture those relationships because they're so important to you. We spend time with the people that we love. And you can see, I think Jesus loves these guys. And in the moments of casual conversation, Jesus shares a profound truth. And often in our most casual environments, we can find nuggets of truth that sustain us and build us. And I believe that is reflected in this. You know, it it reminds me how important it is to spend time, can I just remind you, spend time with people who feed your life, not suck the life from you. I'm telling you, and there's a lot of that going on. You want to be built by those around, and can I also say, not only spend time with people that, that will build into your life, but spend time with Jesus. Develop a familiar, can I say it, a familiar friendship with him and nurture it. Listen to what we read in Mark 6. Jesus said, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Why do I use that verse? Because they've been involved in all kinds of just crazy stuff. It was busy. And Jesus said, you guys need some rest. But you know what he said? Come with me. Come and hang out with me and get some rest. Because I think there'll, there would be some casual conversations, there'll be some prayer, there'll be some laughter, there'll be some food that'll be shared, but they will speak life into one another and it will be a dynamic relationship for them. the second thought this morning is this, is that if you make a promise, keep a promise. If you make a promise, keep a promise. I grateful that over the years had the privilege of being a part in many different environments of the movement of the men's movement some years ago called Promise Keepers. And it was a a dynamic time in our church history. But the idea of keeping a promise is significant. Don't make promises you can't keep. If you make a promise, keep it. Keep it. Numbers chapter 30 and verse number 2. When one of you men makes a promise to the Lord, you must keep your word. That's pretty significant, isn't it? Because we don't just make promises to people, we also make promises to God. God kind of God remembers those things. Okay? He remembers those things. Listen to Matthew chapter 5. This is familiar, and I'm reading from the message paraphrase. And don't say anything you don't mean. The counsel is embedded. This counsel is embedded deep in our traditions. You only make things worse when you lay down a smokescreen of pious talk. Saying, I'll pray for you. Ouch. Ouch. That one always cuts to my heart. I want to make sure if I commit to pray for somebody, I'm praying for them. Amen? And never doing it or saying, God be with you and not meaning it. You don't make your words true by embellishing them with religious lace. In making your speech sound more religious, it becomes less true. Just say yes and no. When you manipulate words to get your own way, you go wrong. Man, that's good. So once again, the idea of this, the power of God's promises is deepened due to relationship. So when God makes a promise, the relationship that we have with him, what's going to happen? It's going to rise. There's going to be greater confidence in the promises being made to us. And they become even more significant to be considered understood understood and embraced. The second thought this morning out of five is the fulfillment of God's promises is directly related to our obedience, our obedience. Jesus said, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait, but wait. There's a stand-up comedian that just cracks me up. His name's John Panette. Uh John Pinette is a, uh, he passed away early, young, unfortunately, but his comedy lives on and he just, he just kills me. I've watched this one routine of his, I don't know, I've watched it 15, 20 times, and every time I watch it, I still laugh. It just kills me. He did a a whole routine about waiting in line, and I'm telling you, it is hilarious. He says, I'm at McDonald's. He says, McDonald's has had the same menu forever, and people can't decide in front of me what they want. He says, I can close my eyes, I can read it right to left, left to right. I can tell you what it is. Get out of the line. Or you go to the grocery store, and he says, and you just have to get behind the person that says, oh, I think I have a coupon somewhere. Waiting. Waiting. I don't think any of us truly enjoy waiting. Don't ever get in a car with me if you have to choose which lane to pick at a bridge, which, where to go, because I'll always pick the wrong one. Waiting. None of us are particularly fond of waiting. Waiting of waiting. And I think it's important for us to understand how important waiting is in the economy of God. And Jesus makes it very clear. He says, look, stay in Jerusalem and wait. Don't go do what I've called you to do. And remember, he called them he says, "I want you to go into every, I want you to go everywhere and I want you to share the good news. I want you to make disciples of everyone. I want you to baptize them." And then he said, "But wait." You know, something most of us would be out ahead of that. Oh god, he, you know, he told me to do something, so I'm going to get after it. You know, we're going to get aggressive. We're going to go do, no, Jesus said, "Wait." Wait. Wait. Jesus was very clear about waiting. And in fact, Luke recorded it two different times, almost the same words. Luke chapter 24, then Jesus opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He said to them, it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and that a change of hearts and lives and forgiveness of sins would be preached in his name to all nations. Starting in Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. I will send what my father has promised, but you must stay in Jerusalem until you've received power from heaven. You know what he's saying? Wait. Wait, listen to Acts chapter 1, 4. We just read it. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. He is calling them to something very significant. But he is saying, wait, and I would just remind all of us. God sometimes calls you and me to very significant things. But it is for us to be patient and to move in the timing that God has for us, not in our own. Because usually, when I move in my own timing, I mess stuff up. I get out ahead of what God wants to do. God wants to do something in me before he does something through me. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. Wait, wait. Charles Stanley says something so profound. He said, our willingness to wait reveals the value we place on the object we're waiting for. Our willingness to wait reveals the value we place on the object we are waiting for. I'm telling you, grab onto that because that is true. It is a challenge to our own value system. If we value something, we are willing to wait. We're willing to be patient and to move when God says, Move. My hope is that we value all that God has done for us and that we're willing to wait. I fear that when we speak, listen carefully, I fear that when we speak of the fullness of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we get all nervous and we get all up. We don't know what, we, we just don't want to wait. We don't want to wait, nor do we want to understand everything that needs to be understood before we move into a place of faith and receiving all that God has for us. We become fearful and uneasy. Yet it is the promise of God to us. I'm going to say that again. The fullness of the Spirit of God, the Spirit-filled life, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a gift that God has promised to us. And He makes good promises. It might require us, hear this, it might require us to step outside of our comfort zone in faith, and receive all that God has for us. I don't know who this lady is, but I love what she said. Karen Simonson. She said, the best things in life are often waiting for you at the exit ramp of your comfort zone. Ah, that is so good. We have to get out of our comfort zones at times. Understand, who is it that's making the promise to you? It is God himself. It is a gift of God to us. It is for life and service and power and witness and encourage. So much is all in the fullness of the Spirit. And sometimes it's just going to take us getting out of our comfort zone to receive all that God has for us and waiting for God to move in our lives and waiting on him. Isaiah 40, verse 31, you know this, but those who wait upon on God get fresh strength. They spread their wings and soar like eagles. They run and don't get tired. They walk and don't lag behind. I don't know about you, but there are times I need some fresh strength. Amen? I need fresh strength. And you wait on God, fresh strength comes. That's the promise of God's Word. It's a doorway. Understand, it is a doorway to something amazing. Don't minimize the fullness of the Spirit of God. You see, it's a statement of obedience for us. That's what, that's what the disciples were being confronted with. Jesus said, wait, wait, wait. Don't leave Jerusalem until. Don't wait. Don't do anything until. And they were obedient to that. Craig Rochelle, the pastor's life church in Oklahoma City, literally all over the country, said this. I believe Christians often perceive obedience to God has some test designed just to see if we're really committed to him. But what if it's designed as God's way of giving us what's best for us? Oh, that is so true. The obedience is going to produce incredible blessing and fruit. For Samuel 15, 22. to obey is better. To obey is better. Thirdly, the credibility of God's promises is magnified because of the promise maker. The credibility of God's promises is magnified because of the promise maker. Most of us, I would suggest, are what I would call brand loyal. Uh, you go to the grocery store. There's, I, 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 would, I would go out on a limb to say everyone in this room at some level is brand loyal. Okay? You're going to go and you're going to buy something generic in this area, but you're going to buy brand there. And the reason you do that is because you trust it. You, you just do. Now, I you know, I don't I like Cocoa Krispies. Why are you laughing? They're the they're the best cereal in the world. So just now I don't I don't do I don't do cocoa pebbles. I don't like those. I don't do cocoa puffs, although I have a pair of socks that has cocoa puffs on them. I like cocoa Krispies. I don't like the knockoffs that they come up with. Whatever they're called. Why? I'm brand loyal. It's going to be Cocoa Krispies. If it's going to be something like this, it's going to be Cocoa Krispies. Bottom line. Now, there may be something else generic that I'll do. My point, I think you understand. There's something, whether true or not, it's probably just perceived. The idea is, if it's the brand name, you trust it more, don't you? There's a credibility to that. Now, credibility goes a long ways. There's something about credibility. So here's a warning. I'm going to give you a a warning disclaimer. I'm going to give you a big theological word here. Okay, The big theological word is immutability. Immutability. Now immutability sounds a little ominous, but all immutability means is is the unchanging nature of God. God, by his nature, by his very character, is unchanging. And that is so significant when it comes to promise-making and promise-keeping. Their credibility is enhanced because of the one who's making the promise. God doesn't change. That should just cause every one of us to explode in amens because everything else changes. You change, I change. We'll change in the next 10 minutes. That's just the way we are, but God doesn't. God doesn't change. He is changeless in all of his great attributes and powers. This brings a credibility to the promise-making and the promise-keeping that is unmatched. It's unmatched. Psalm 102, verse 27, you remain the same and your years will never end. Malachi 3, 6, I am the Lord, I do not change. James one seventeen: whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God, our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. Praise God. People change everything continually. And it diminishes their credibility. Right? Right? But God? No way. He doesn't change. Therefore, the promises he makes to us are absolutely certain. Paul said it this way, 2 Corinthians 1, whatever God has promised gets stamped, I love that, with the yes, with the yes of Jesus. Because Jesus is, all the promises of God that he has ever made are true and he doesn't change. He is not going to waver in the promises that he's made to us. Also, the anticipation of God's promise. The anticipation of God's promise, number four, is enhanced when we have context. When we have context. I talk, I don't say I would talk often, but I've talked more than once about giving people the why for certain things. I really believe how important it is. If you can share why, most folks are pretty good with the what. But if you just give the what without the why, eh, you know, okay, it might be all right, but... I love, that gives context. And with the, with the advent of the internet, one of the things that we all understand is that there is a, a limitless amount of information at our fingertips. It's just right there. One of the things that Marcy and I do, and you may do the same thing, if you're getting ready to take a trip, you will go online and you'll go to your destination online. And you'll start looking at all of these sites and the things that are available, and you'll start planning and mapping out Everything that's there. You're gonna see where maybe your hotel is in relationship to the best restaurant in town, or if you're going to the beach, you wanna see how close it is to the ocean. You just start mapping it out. And what does it do? It creates anticipation. It increases anticipation for the trip that's coming. And it gives context to where you're going, especially we're going to a place shortly that we've never been. And so we've been online just trying to discover all of the things that are there, so we can map out that particular trip. And that anticipation is being enhanced because of the context that's being provided, but what I'm learning. Jesus did something with with his disciples. He said this, sitting at this meal. He said, this is a gift that my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. What did he do? He took them back to the times that he had talked about this very gift, and it went, they went, oh yeah, that gift. Oh yeah, everything that that means. And let me give you just a little snippet of that from John 14, 15, and 16, just a few verses. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. And by the way, he's sitting around at a dinner table when he's doing this, okay? So here we are, same thing, John 14, 12. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done. And even greater works because I am going to the Father. And I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another advocate who will never leave you. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and remind you of everything I've told you. But I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness. And of the coming judgment. So much is available in the life of the Spirit. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, this is what I told you about. The gift that I've talked I've talked to you already about it. There's all of this. It's all there just for you. It is, what's so cool about this, it's not just for Jesus' disciples 21 centuries ago. This is for you and this is for me today in 2021. I'm telling you, I was thinking about this this morning. Oh, God, help me communicate over these next number of weeks when we're in the book of Acts, the the incredible privilege, power, and opportunity there is in the fullness of the Spirit and the life of the Spirit for you and me today. It is not for just days that have left us so far in the past, but it is for today. And Jesus is providing context for us and saying, I told you about this. Understand how powerful it is in your life. What I love about it is that Peter gives us even a little snip on on the day of Pentecost. He says this in Acts chapter 2, verse 39. He says, This promise, I love it. This promise is for you who's sitting in front of me, to your children, that next generation. This is Peter saying, and for those who are far away. Now, that can be two things. Far away can mean distance, but it can also mean generations. And I choose to believe it is far away, but it's also generations. And what happened on the day of Pentecost is available for you and for me in 2021. And let's be anticipating the good things that God has for us in a life of the Spirit filled with the Spirit of God. Let's believe for that. Let's believe for that, unlike any time in our past. And finally... The certainty of God's promises is assured by his word, by his word. Jesus said in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. There it is. Now that doesn't seem like much, but it it really is. He's clear to to his disciples. He says, you will be. It's not maybe. It's not possibly. It's you will be. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. In other words, the certainty of the word of God, it's assured because Jesus has said it. What Jesus has said, it will happen. Matthew twenty-five, verse 30, 24, verse 35. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. There is a certainty to the word of God. And if you're unsure what we've been talking about for the last 20 minutes, the promise is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's the promise. That's the promise. Regarding the baptism of the Spirit... D.L. Moody said something so powerful. Listen to what he said. You might as well try to see without eyes, hear without ears, or breathe without lungs to try to live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. There it is. That's just true. You say, well, wait a minute, Pastor Gary. I, I don't get it. I thought the Spirit of God came into my life when I came to faith in Christ. You are absolutely right. He did. But I want to tell you something. There is so much more available in the life and the Spirit than just a baptism of repentance. There is so much life available for you and for me in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And I'm inviting you into that incredible life. You see, it is more more than an experience subsequent to our conversion. It is more than an expression of spiritual giftedness it is not an attitude of spiritual perfection or superiority. Rather, the fullness of the Spirit is an endowment of power for life and witness. It is a life of fullness and passion for the things of God. It is available for every believer who has been born again. So whoever we are and whatever we do for God, our great desire should be to be filled with God's Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul said it very, very well be filled continually with the Holy Spirit. I cannot agree with him more and how important it is for you and for me every day to be filled continually with the Spirit of God. One final thought this morning. Value all the promises of God has made to us and live in the fullness of the Spirit. Value every promise that God has made, but live in the fullness of the Spirit. The message title this morning was The Promise, and I made it as clear as I could that what we are talking about this morning is not the ultimate promise, but I do want to talk to you for just a minute about the ultimate promise, which this is a personal opinion. I'm going to give you what I believe is the ultimate promise in Scripture, okay? You ready? Here we go. Hang on. Acts chapter 2, verse 21, and everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, will be saved. To me, that is the ultimate promise. No matter what your background has been, no matter how challenging your life is presently, no matter how far away your life may be from God, how deep and dark things might be at this moment, how controlled you are by everything outside of the things of God, I want you to know, call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. You will be restored. You will be forgiven. Grace will be extended. Mercy applied. And life everlasting is yours. That's a pretty good promise. That's a pretty good promise. And the cool thing is, God just isn't a promise maker. He's a promise keeper. Thank you, Jesus, for your word this morning. And I pray that we, this morning, would live in anticipation for what you want to do in our lives lord obedience and waiting and lord understanding how credible you are in making promises that you never change and lord the fullness of the spirit and the the incredible blessing it is to know all that is available to us in the life of the spirit and i pray that even at this point we would we would have a great anticipation for what you want to do in our lives but the ultimate promise this morning is if we call upon you, you'll forgive us, you'll save us. Lord, I pray that would occur today for some, for many, those watching online this morning, those in the house. Lord, we just call upon your name. Save us, save us. We need you, Jesus. And Lord, we pray that We know, let me say it this way, I know, we know that you will make good on your promise because you've made it. You've said it, you're going to do it. You will save us. For that we're grateful. We give you all the thanks and the praise today in Jesus' name.